In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis had the following to say, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased for both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. That's Clive Staples Lewis. My name is Matt Cheminsky. This is the Curious Catholic Podcast. As we look forward to the end of this week, we see Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. And I don't know about your neighborhood, but mine is marked by all sorts of spooky sights, decorations, and what have you. It's become commonplace this time of year to conjure ghoulish scenes meant to give one a sense of the eerie or fire the latent Gothic imaginations of both young and the not-so-young. And what's a Catholic to think of all this? Some embrace it wholesale, though with little sense of its place in the Catholic imagination. Others reject it out of hand, seeing it as trading in the dark arts. And yet neither of these responses are adequate or satisfying. We can't ignore the whole of human experience and be authentically Catholic, And within that, we have to have at least some account of the spooky, spectral, and potentially sinister things that go bump in the night. And so in this episode, we'll look at the ways in which St. Augustine considered the demonic in his life and work. Helping us to do so is Seamus O'Neill, who is Associate Professor of Ancient and Medieval Philosophy at the Memorial University of Newfoundland. His main philosophical interests are ancient and medieval philosophy generally, metaphysics, and the philosophy of religion. His current research deals with St. Augustine and other thinkers such as Plotinus, Boethius, St. Thomas Aquinas, and St. Bonaventure, and their relation to the Neoplatonic tradition, specifically concerning the question of human and divine mediation. He is co-editor of Neoplatonic Demons and Angels, and has published articles and book chapters on figures such as St. Augustine, Boethius, St. Anselm, St. Thomas Aquinas, and Dante, and on the history of Platonic thought, demonology, the problem of evil, and the relation between ancient and scholastic thought and contemporary philosophical trends. Currently, he is working on a book-length manuscript on the results of this research while working on the demonology of St. Thomas Aquinas and its philosophical import. Here's Seamus talking about this work, thinking about demonology. Looking at my doctoral work, uh, doctoral dissertation, which is about 10 years ago, I guess now, or a little over, uh, was on Augustine and the question about mediation, human divine mediation. So it was about how, how the human connects to the divine and how, and particularly how Augustine understands that in relation to his platonic pagan contemporaries. So what is, how does Augustine criticize the Platonists and what does he borrow from them on the question of how we commune with uh, divinity, with the God or with the gods and so on. And so he's critical of all these uh, various pagan attempts or methods of certain rituals or Roman religion or different kinds of uh, witchcraft, he says, or astrology or theurgy, the Neoplatonic kind of, uh, kind of, Working the go- working through the gods, uh, and so demons naturally come up all over the place in that question. So the work wasn't really on them, though they kind of showed up <laughs> every few pages or so in the bit of text where you're reading this. And then after you know finishing up, I said, "There's a lot to do here because 
such a uh, Augustine doesn't really write a, a standalone treatise on demons in the way we might like him to if we had certain questions about them. generally they, they just kind of pop up all over the place in different kinds of works and different styles of his work so i thought well let's look into this and see what he says <laughs> uh throughout the corpus and that as you know and as many of your listeners probably know that uh that's a lot <laughs> so it's it's taken a while to put this together but uh it, it basically sprung out of that question of uh of the human's relation to the divine. Why does this happen with Augustine then? Why do the demons keep keep appearing in his work, you know, given his place and time and, you know, considering Roman society, you know, as it stands before him? Right. Uh, well, of course, one of the reasons why um, uh, he's he's interested in it, and some of the works, some works have more, more than others, naturally. And in the city of God, he's kind of engaging explicitly in uh, in the Roman forms of, of religion, particularly. So they, they arise there insofar as it's part and parcel of how uh, his contemporaries and he sees sees the world, right? So it's a strange kind of question, I guess, for a philosopher in a way to get interested in because we're coming, you know, from our contemporary world. Uh, we, we, we like to look at Augustine if we wonder about free will or we like to look at, you know, uh, these particular figures from the past and pull these philosophical arguments out and we try to cleanse them maybe or ignore all the other stuff going on in the background. Uh, but but sometimes I wonder about the how much it's possible really to understand them even on these questions, without fitting into how how they fit in your world. If if you think demons exist and the devil exists and so on, it's a, I think it's a bit of a game changer in how you see everything really, right? So uh, it, it's important for Augustine I think because it's it's he's just immersed in a world both for Christians and for and for his his pagan contemporaries in which they're just part of their reality in a way that for the Catholic, even the Catholic today, I wonder uh, how, how serious we might be or committed to we might be about the existence of this kind of reality, right? So, uh, so Augustine was an interesting figure for that. But if you read Aquinas, I mean, it, it's similar there. It's similar in a lot of these figures. And of course, the pagan Platonists as well. Right? The demons yeah. are everywhere in there. <laughs> They're all over the place. So what are we going to do with that? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, so that's why, you know, I thought it interesting, you know, looking at your treatment of Augustine and look, as he looks at, at the Roman gods and, and their rites of worship and their rituals and whatnot. So how does Augustine link the two then? What's the relationship between the pagan gods and, and the demonic? Right. Right. So um, you, you might think uh, one of the questions I was uh, wondering about in relation to some of this work recently uh, uh, was Bart Ehrman's work on uh, wondering why, Christianity became so quickly a pretty dominant religion in, in this period, or so so quickly in its first few centuries, and uh, and it was related to this question of how Christians interacted with non Christians in their world, and if you're if you're thinking about conversions or communicating with someone else, sometimes the points of contact are crucial to begin any kind of real discussion with someone. So when Augustine and his contemporaries, or his, his Christian predecessors even, encounter people that are non-Christians, it was, it's never really a matter of beating one position over the head with a counter position. There's points of contact between them. So in the Christian view, and Augustine inherits this, it's not just he, it's even, it's even in the Gospels, really, or even prior, it's in the Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. about the gods of the nations being demons. So it was never really for him that the pagan gods didn't exist. Zeus existed, 
uh, or exists, we should say, right? Or the, the various nymphs and the various uh, heroes and the divinities that are populating these world, this world uh, are existing things. The big difference is that they're not uh, the gods they claim to be, but they're, they're malignant demons. So here's a point of contact with a shift and a shift in how we approach and uh, how we understand them and then how we act accordingly. Right. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. It, so it was just sort of, it was taking it as, as a real thing that we ought to be concerned with. It wasn't just sort of demythologizing from Augustine, like you guys were just, you know, worshiping emptiness. It was, there's something real going on here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not, absolutely. It's not a demythologization of, uh, or sort of trying to show how these, and, and it's not even, you, you can look at this, I guess, uh, some scholars might look at this as a, as like a tactic, right? Or there's an attempt to sort of, we want conversions. How are we going to see them sitting around a board meeting and saying, okay, guys, how are we going to, how are we going to convert these, uh, these pagans? I know we can just, uh, let's, let's, let's give them the demon thing or the God thing. But let's say, so, I mean, there's a, uh, it's not a demythologization. I think, I think there's just the, the points of contact are really real. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, and, and the, the interesting thing, too, the thing I, I come up for me in my own work, where I kind of come up against the brick wall sometimes as a philosopher who deals with texts, uh, Augustine's reasons for accepting the existence of these pagan gods as demons are often um, from his own experience. Mm-hmm. They're not philosophical arguments that you can just reason your way into thinking, ah, you know. Apollo exists or something. Or these gods exist. There's always a reference to some magician who, by invoking these entities, can produce real results. The efficacy of it is true and real. So what are we going to do with that? Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it's 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 uh, it's not, they're not kind of dis, dis, disproving the existence of these things or demythologizing. It's it's um, it's part and parcel of of uh, of their world. And I think too, even today, I mean, we tend to. Think we're going to demythologize all these things as well, uh, but I, I wonder whether anyone really believes, you know, ab- ab- that the world doesn't include more mm-hmm. than we like to admit to ourselves sometimes that it does. Right. Yes. Yeah, uh, maybe we can return to that because that's a really interesting point. But I mean, Augustine isn't alone in thinking like he's even non-Christians and and Roman authorities like Cicero, you're saying, view the Roman rites and the Roman religious practices as being troublesome, at least. Right. Or or some sort of contradiction or or muddled together problem. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a kind of tension or contradiction between uh, the stories of the gods and how they seem to be operating in the world versus this other side of worship, worshiping them or holding them up to some kind of uh, uh, paradigm of what we should be behaving like. I mean, it's almost the other way around. I mean, you, you might think that the, the Roman gods and the Greek gods, they're almost the human being writ large with, with all their faults and all their greatness is magnified in a way. So uh, even Chichiro mentions, yeah, the, the kind of problems with the stories of the gods, are they're not really things you want to emulate so much. So then why why the worship uh there's a there's a kind of tension there and of course there's other reasons why you might want to worship if you're trying to appease them and you're afraid of them or something like that but even you know the christians but even the augustine often quotes uh his pagan contemporaries who make similar points as he does that's a nice argumentative tactic right it's not me who says it it's your very your guys are saying these kinds of things that uh there's a problem there's a tension right Zeus is uh Zeus does all kinds of evil nasty things that's not something to emulate yeah. 
Right. So, so we have the, the, these deities that are really demonic as Augustine's saying, and, you know, as he looks at the Roman practices, then why, what sort of motives would compel someone to worship these rather troublesome deities in, in the best construal and, you know, these demons in, in sort of as Augustine sees them? Well, he says, uh, he says a number of things. I've kind of, a, you know, tried to group group things together as I go through the, his, his work. And there, there's some people who seem to just be ignorant of, uh, of the reality of these beings. And they just kind of, they kind of worship or go through the, go through the motions and so on. And Augustine says, well, there's really not much excuse for these kinds of people, because if you see how the stories of how they act and how they deal with things and they're probably not things you want to worship, I guess Christianity too, you know, we, we have, we have similar things we have to do sometimes when you read certain parts of the Bible say, right. Mm-hmm. We yeah. might come across something in the, in the, in the Hebrew Bible or the old Testament, or even the new Testament that might seem to us a bit morally uh, repugnant from our kind of view. What do we do with that? Are we, are there certain changes we have to make or to interpret it certain ways? Do things stand for different things? And there's a whole, of course, as you know, traditions of sort of coming to terms with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Augustine says with the, in terms of the pagan side of things, there's some people that sort of uh, are maybe not recognizing the tension there, but generally he thinks that most people should or would recognize that tension. Um, and among those are people he thinks uh, still worships the demons anyway, or goes through with these rites anyway, either out of fear of punishment from the demons, fear of retribution, because there's an idea there that the that the sacrifices that the that people make to these beings are sort of needed by those beings. And if you're not going to give them the sacrifices, well, they're not going to be too pleased with you. So there's a kind of fear of retribution on the one hand, but the other side of things that Augustine spends quite a bit of time dealing with are, are the ones who engage in kind of uh, pacts with demons because they want something to gain from it. So they realize the dangerous uh, evil, maybe nature of these beings, but yet they're willing to kind of jump into the fray in a way because they can get something out of it mm-hmm. personally for them, either by becoming friends with them or by maybe even forcing them through certain kind of rights to, to compel the demons to do various things. And these things, Augustine thinks, are very dangerous, right? So the one who does it out of fear and has no choice might be a bit morally better than the one who is trying to use the demons for their own purposes to get ahead. Is this the, the sorcerer type, the magician, you know? Um, it'd be interesting to connect this type of person to a modern day you know, type. But um, for Augustine, this is the sorcerer, right? The, the one that tries to gain the illicit power yeah sorcerers and magicians uh, uh witches he talks about witchcraft or goetia right uh, the kind of even goetia and the latin is a kind of a, a bad kind of connotation but it's not just them it's even the um he says often even in its more what uh purified form of theurgy aos uh, ergon in greek uh translated as the sometimes translated as working the gods i.e forcing the gods but even in pagan platonists themselves say, no, it's the other way around. It's the gods working through us when we do the thing, right? Mm. Which has a kind of a higher, maybe a bit better moral status. But Augustine says all this stuff is all very dangerous. So making of amulets or pacts with demons. All, once you start once you start getting involved with this kind of reality, you're walking down a dangerous path. So all those types of figures fall under that. So why is the, the Christian perspective the, the superior one? Why is Christianity the answer to the problem of the demonic? Right. Well, I guess on the one hand, uh, because the Christian and the, the pagan agree that 
this, the demonic reality exists. And even you might say the negative side of it, both parties agree to that because Augustine's using, you know, the kind of pagan stories or the pagan examples. Uh, uh, I use the word pagan. Often the word pagan is kind of used in a pejorative sense. I'm using it in a sense of distinguishing it from the Christian. Some people try to use the word Hellenic to distinguish that, but that has its other own, own kind of issue. So I don't mean pagan in a pejorative sense, uh, like Augustine I mean it here, but just in this distinction in the Christian form. So there's a, both recognize the reality. They're sharing the same stories and maybe even the same experiences, right? And Augustine thinks that the best the best the pagan really can do is uh, is try to ward off as best he or she can the the malignancy or the danger of the assault of demonic attack, which is never really uh, never really surely able to do that. The superiority on the side of the Christian view for Augustine thinks is that the uh, is that the pagan rites have really no power over over the demonic realm in the end? That it's only really the Christian who has any kind of safeguard against it. And he uses again, you know, the pagan examples of of these sorcerers or these magicians or these people who get involved in that world, and they've, they they really come to nothing better in the end, and often come to worse. Whereas he uses a lot of examples from his own tradition where uh, the Christian alone seems to have a kind of power over a demonic reality. And exorcism, of course, is, 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 a, is one of the main uh, um, realms in which you see this happening from Augustine's point of view and others in his tradition. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, you know, this is where, you know, it gets me thinking maybe more uh, of the modern, the, the modern moment right now. And, and, um, you know, you bring up, you know, uh, the question, are, are Christians in, in a way not as um, at least aware or, or as putting much, as much credence in the demonic and, and the devil, as you said, as was once the case? Um, and that definitely seems like it, that, that might be happening. And at the same time, it's interesting, even in, in sort of the broader culture, there are so many movies devoted to sort of these themes that seem to get, you know, a lot of attention. Um, so maybe that's sort of a modern incoherence, sort of, you know, when we're at home and the doors are shut and the lights are off, we're watching a movie, this stuff interests us, but we have to be self-respecting yeah. uh, <laughs> moderns that don't believe in this sort of spiritualist stuff. And we have to be good materialists um, or at least just believe in, in God as sort of in some sort of deist mode. But um, what, what's your take? What, what is the relevance of all of this? to our modern predicament, if there is any. Well, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical about, uh, about the general modern day person's um, uh, atheism about this kind of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, some of it's kind of anecdotal, but there is, you know, even recently, you know, about five years ago, there was an explosion of these movies on about exorcism and uh, demons and horror as a, as a genre. Also even interest in things that Augustine would consider superstitious kind of stuff. And when I say superstitious in his sense, I don't mean superstitious and not existing superstition for Augustine are these kinds of curious rites that you get involved with, like the, like the magician, like the sorcerer that, that really do have an efficacy, but they're dangerous. The rise of kind of this new age, the whole new age thing that, that you that you see nowadays with, uh, you know, books like was the key or the Celestial prophecies going quite a ways back, but that whole genre of, uh, of kind of tapping into something beyond our general day-to-day materialistic, efficient material cause world, 
right? <laughs> into something beyond it. And, 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 you know, you can call that various things, but I do think there's something in human nature that, that has a connection or a realization or some kind of outlet into something beyond that, uh, that I wonder if we're really as atheistic or as materialistic as we, we like to maybe claim to be. Right. Yeah. And it is, you, you remark upon this and it is striking that for people like Augustine and others who are, you know, these powerhouses of the, of the traditions sort of intellectual heritage, they just can't ignore this stuff, right? Because it's empirically before them. And, you know, even it's interesting, this is the case with, with all the ghost stories, right? There's, there's no sort of deduction from the Gospels or, or, or the Fathers that ghosts have to exist, yet the stories persist. <laughs> yes, they do. And today, I mean, we talk about, you know, we're an evidence-based we're an evidence-based university or something like that. We're evidence-based. You want some evidence. I mean, the whole history of humanity is full of stories about ghosts and spooks and things that go bump in the night. I mean, the world is replete with it. Chesterton made a, a quip one time that we uh, we believe the we believe the drunk when he sees a murder in the street, but you don't believe the judge when he sees a ghost under his bed. And so why is that? I mean, we think well, we believe in expert testimony and so on. Uh, well, we don't believe the judge because we've already prejudge that there's these such things don't exist mm-hmm. right so i mean uh, there's a kind of a, a, i think a bias an intellectual sort of bias against these kinds of uh against these kinds of things and i don't know how, how genuine it really is in the end but what people really believe mm-hmm. yeah it, i mean it is interesting even you know you do see some books come out you know Again, like maybe you're mentioning about five years ago, sort of the exorcist books, um, yeah. you know, within sort of circles of devoted Catholics, you know, Orthodox believing Catholics get interested in this on the side in a way. Um, but it's interesting, you know, you, you quoted, um, you know, Lewis uh, talking about the two main mistakes or two errors that people make uh, regarding the, the demonic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's that quotation in the, from the screw tape letters where uh, uh, there's two there's two sides that the demons are quite happy with when it comes to, to humanity. And one is to have a, for people to have an over, uh, an excessive interest in such things that can be a bit dangerous. This is what Augustine would call curiositas, curiosity. We say curiosity. It's good to be curious. You teach your kids to be curious and so on about the, you know, what's that, what's that bird doing out there or something like that. But uh, this kind of curiosity, again, when Augustine uses it in a sense, it's kind of a dangerous curiosity to, 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 to try to understand hidden secret things for their own sake and maybe revel in that secrecy or occult kind of knowing and then to use that for your own benefit. So there's that extreme on the one hand, a, a kind of a, a danger of going down that kind of road. And, and I think, you know, a lot of the times we, we don't see or hear necessarily a whole lot, maybe from the church or from priests or from exorcists about these kinds of, kinds of things. And maybe that's a good thing in a way because you don't want people – developing an over what exuberant interest in, in in these things and i question that myself when i'm doing my own work you know i'm a, you know i'm a scholar i work with books and so on that's what i do and i'm always wondering you know what's the the reality on the ground maybe and that might be interesting to see how that relates to maybe some of the philosophical questions that an augustine or aquinas or someone might have on that but there's a kind of danger i think in uh, in pursuing that. And that's not to say there aren't priests have written on that. Gabriel Amorth, of course, and uh, uh, Father Fortea. There's there's stuff out there. I mean, you can see it. And I've, I've read a lot of it because I try to get my as much as I can on that. But I kind of worry, am I delving that? Why am I doing this? Am I going, is this a curiosity or is it for my work or is it good to know? The other extreme, of course, would be the complete denial and the complete, uh, uh, you know, 
denial that such things even exist. And C.S. Lewis has the has the demon say, "Oh, they 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 welcome the materialist and the magician with equal delight <laughs> because both are both are primed for uh, for for their work." Both <laughs> right? So, I mean, there's a kind of healthy balance, maybe somewhere in the middle. Uh, and maybe maybe it's gone too far in one way. I think you know maybe for Catholics today who uh, who we don't always have the kind of formation we might have had in our parents or grandparents' day in terms of the, the theological formation and that kind of thing. So maybe I wonder I wonder if we gone too far the one way and we sort of forget right. there's a devil and the demons and, and these kinds of things that exist out there. Yeah, right. And and some of that might also just be sort of. You know, it's kind of what I was saying earlier, right? You want to, you know, we want to be clearly reasonable believers, right? And 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 not appear to be, you know, superstitious in the certain sense of not in Augustine's sense, but you know, believing in things that ought not believed in by a respectable, right. <laughs> educated, <laughs> modern Westerner. And um, there's probably some good in that, but then there there's a, a, a drawback to that, and that you really do become blind to things that might be real. Right. And, and to things that, you know, you, you shouldn't ignore just because fashionable prejudice wants you to look the other way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, at a secular university where I'm doing work on this kind of thing, sometimes you get a few eyebrows raised or, or whatever when you're doing this kind of thing. But you're right. I mean, if uh, uh, I had a, uh, as my thesis supervisor said one time when I gave a paper at a conference on some he said, well, you're, you're kind of interested in these things, really, aren't you? So, well, if it exists, you you better know something about it, right? right? And you got to be on you got to be on guard. You know, the famous thing from Paul's Ephesians, right, about putting on the armor of God because you're fighting against principalities and powers and all these kinds of things. And, and if you don't think that the devil or the demons exist, or if they don't have any, or they do, but they're sort of safely tucked away in hell or something, or they're 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 not going to bother me, kind of thing. If you think you're sort of immune to that, well, you, you're not. You're kind of you're kind of open in a way or unaware of maybe the influence that might be going on in your life from yeah. these kind of things. So, you know, there's a lot at stake here. <laughs> right? There's a lot kind of at stake. So you're right. Don't let the, just the fashionable, uh, it's not fashionable to believe in these kinds of things. I'm interested you, and you bring it up Lewis. I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, some of his fiction is coming to mind right now um, with uh, that hideous strength and, um, the final, his final uh, space trilogy book, okay. and, and there there seems to be, um, you know, towards the end of end of the book, there's this sort of research institute, and um, and, and it's all sort of it's 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 highly secretive, but you sort of have the best and the brightest working there, and um clearly there's something nefarious going on initially and then ultimately it becomes revealed as as demonic in ways and uh, one of the final scenes is basically all these sort of high ups in this research institute basically start tearing each other apart like sort of like a babble but it's also like it's clearly demonic they're tearing each other apart um and so i guess yeah lewis I mean, for lots of reasons, it's fascinating, but I guess on this mark it is as well, right? He, he doesn't let the sort of fashionable prejudices get in the way of his, you know, he's dealing with the stuff in fiction, but at the same time, you, you get a sense that he thinks this stuff is is real. Certainly, yeah, yeah. Interesting you say tearing apart too is demonic. I mean, this is another kind of theme you see, in, in, well, in Augustine, but also, you know, in any kind of, uh, a lot of kind of right reading, reading you might do on the topic about uh, 
about demons that they don't uh, they don't create. They only God creates, right? So anything that the demon does is always a it's always a tearing down or a perversion or an inversion or a flipping mm-hmm. of things that are existing. So this is a real kind of a um, this kind of complete deconstruction for deconstruction's sake or an overturning. You know, Augustine even talks about the uh, adversaries. Uh, the wreckers and when he goes to college he goes, he goes to college and he talks about this in in the confessions and he has all these guys that are doing all these kind of crazy frat pranks and so on. And he, he kind of thinks they're still kind of cool and that but he doesn't really associate with them and he calls them the adversaries the wreckers or the overturners mm. there's nothing he's ever really seen mimics the activity of demons more than these people wow it's a it's an upsetting right a turning yeah. over that's I interesting that sometimes you know when you looking at the world and see how when things start to seem upside down or flipped over or deconstructed for its own sake, I start to worry a bit or start some warning lights go off for me. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you would know this better than I, given, you know, you're, you're fully lodged in, in academia, but it seems like there's certainly a spirit and this, it trickles down certainly um, of just deconstructing for its own sake, intellectually, conceptually, um, you know, without replacing it with anything edifying in the sense of building up, you know, we're just going to, you know, pull, pull this, pull, pull the facade down and then just show you how empty it all is. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an example of something I kind of, kind of had in mind there. Right. But it's one thing. Yes. There has to be kind of development and questioning and always the, always the ability to question anything in academia, right. To kind of, this is the philosophical uh, approach, right. That everything kind of, you can question the grounds of any kind of, Kind of premise, but when you see it being done for its just for its own sake, and 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 an erasure or a collapse or a taking away of everything that had been built up, it, it takes on a bit of a different tone. You know, Chesterton has that great little quip about the uh, the two people are walking through a field and they see this old old fence on the hill there, and one guy says, "Look at that old fence! What's that old fence doing there? We should rip it down." And the other guy says, "Well, if you don't know why that fence is here, the last person I think should be able to rip it down." <laughs> until you can tell me what it was there for well then then after you come tell me what it's there for then maybe we'll let you rip it down because you know, we're just tearing things down we don't know what they are oh we don't like this let's get rid of that well why why is that there <laughs> why was that the practice for so long and maybe it does need to be torn down but let's at least understand what uh, what's behind it and what it was doing and what might happen if we were to overturn or to take down right you know i'm wondering if you know maybe uh, we could just return real quick to the Augustine sorcerer. I'm just wondering if you see any types or any ways in which that that sort of way of being has persisted into the modern day. Well, I do think too that so sorcery, as Augustine sees it, as has persisted in the modern day, as the way he describes it. I don't think this is kind of a, kind of gone away. Um, but of course, there's other forms of that. If you take one of the one of the problems he has with sorcery, with uh, all these forms of magic that invoke the demons, they're generally doing so. Uh, there's the people that are sort of looking for uh, protection or afraid of them, but the ones that really engage it enthusiastically for their own benefit are always looking for somehow kind of worldly prosperity, worldly gains, power, influence, longer life, money, uh, love, all these kinds of things that people are looking for that... Uh, think that it's going to make themselves happy or more prosperous in this world. And one of the things Augustine thinks is very dangerous with that sort of approach is it's not the human end, the ultimate human end is not about this world. 
yes, we're embodied, we're in the world, we, we do good things, hopefully, and so on. But the human end is really beyond that. And so the whole attitude of the sorcerer, other than the fact that the demon might give you some temporal prosperity, it's all directed towards this world, which ends. You know, I think the Faust, the great Faust story, right? What are you giving up? What are you signing away? You're signing something away, <laughs> right? Because the demons are there. Ultimately, they're going to win in the end in terms of the bargain. Any bargain you have is temporal. Um, so think about today. I mean, what what kind of approaches to the world do you see around you where people are totally um, immersed in and looking for worldly success and prosperity? Is it about you know, being liked by others? Is it about making more money? Whoever's the most money wins? Or is it about you know, the accumulation of, of wealth or a bigger house or keeping up with the people next door? And, you know, they might not be invoking demons to do so. Well, who knows? I don't know what the guy's doing in the basement next door, but, you know, it might be uh, it's a similarity between their approach. And that's kind of a dangerous approach because it severs the human being and her attention towards the true human end, which transcends the material world. So that's one of the things wrong with superstition and sorcery in Augustine's view. Yeah. I'm also thinking of, you know, as we push the frontiers of, you know, biotechnical research and, and sort of manipulating of the inner workings of the human genome and whatnot. And some of that might, you know, be good and come from uh, places of good motivation. But, but on the other hand, some of it could be really, you know, emerging from this desire to control and so get, get on the inside and control the secrets and have the knowledge so that we can do all the things you were just saying as far as, you know, uh, some sort of type of eugenics in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, some you could, it's kind of a strange thing as an academic to say that, well, some knowledge is not as bad to have, <laughs> right? You may say, well, all knowledge is, is a good knowledge, and that's kind of true, I guess, right? And ultimately, but uh, what's being done with it, or what's the motivation for your desire to know? And that's when Augustine gets into this distinction between what he calls curiosity and, and, and a virtuous, maybe, desire. Now, the curious one is what is, has to do a lot with the motivations behind it. If it's just about uh, creating some new thing to, to make money off of and not caring about some of the ethical implications, that's the problem with technology. People said, you know, people saying for years, right, it, it seems to move faster than our ability to kind of have discussions about it and wonder whether we should do just something just because we can. So, yeah, that, that, would be, that would be a great example, I think, of the kind of worry, at least, yeah. Augustine might have. Yeah, and even, you know, those pursuing good ends, you know, there's all sorts of, as we know, you know, illicit means and, and um, right. to pursue it and those means and then in turn can corrupt, I think, the pursuit of the end. And um, But it's interesting, you know, as you were speaking just a moment ago, it, it's striking to me that you, Augustine and, and your presentation of him, the focus on the true supernatural Christian end, right, uh, for, for the human person is almost the, the best sort of answer to all of this, isn't it? In terms of uh, in terms of where our focus should really lie, yeah, the focus, but also you know how we would even con- like everything conceived in light of that shapes how we would view, say, the demonic, right? As far as you don't you don't really want to engage with these things or you know fend your, you know be on the defense against them because what they can offer you is is nothing compared to what we truly have as our uh, as our birthright. That's right. There's nothing that they can. There's nothing that they can do that provides any benefit. And any benefit they give is temporary. And he pushes a little further, too, because it's not just, oh, well, I'll get the power and wealth for the next 20 years before I die. That'll be a great thing. But the power and wealth itself is actually cannot be good for you as well, right? So all the things that they offer, there's a line from the Parrot of St. Benedict on the St. Benedict Medal, you might know it, the Noli Suari Mihi Vana. Don't, don't tempt me with your Vana, your empty promises or empty stuff. 
right? So all these kind of temptations or suggestions that the, that the demonic can bring to you, all the things that they offer can only lead to ruin. And this is one of the things Augustine really has to make a distinction here between what he thinks is the Christian view and the pagan view. They're all agreeing, you know, that these things exist and these things work. But they're not working in a good way because they're not good for you. It's the, that's, it's the you know, union with, with God uh, ultimately is what the human end really is. And only, only you can only do that for Augustine, of course, through Christ, right? And only the name of, of Christ is a real, sure um, defense against such, such entities, Right. And there's even kind of other issues with that because you have the, the great saints and so on. Saint Anthony in the desert. I mean, even there, it's not. Uh, there's a lot to be said about that, of course. Right? About why or how could the great saints and so on, or Saint Paul himself claims to have been tormented even by a demon, but to what end and, and so on. Right? So, right. not that you could. Uh, even there, it's not that you could completely ward it off in any sense of your life. It's there as a reality. Yeah, you think in, in the modern time, in modern times of Padre Pio as an example of someone. Padre Pio, yeah, yeah. As, as an example and so on. You know, yeah. There's lots of lots of things you can you can read too about this going on today. You know, and two minds about that. Back to our two extremes again. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it good for people if you don't know anything about as a Catholic? If you know not or anyone really, if you don't know anything about it, or think you kind of don't believe it, well, maybe maybe you should look into it a little bit. Right? If you find yourself right. awake all night worrying about it well maybe you know <laughs> you don't you don't need to you shouldn't be obsess, obsessing about it or really again what's the motive thanks to Seamus O'Neill for his time and insight into this particular facet of the work and thought of St Augustine I've enjoyed knowing and conversing with Seamus for a number of years now and I'm grateful for his hopping on the show to share his research findings with us as this episode comes to a close I want to wish you a happy halloween a blessed All Hallows' Eve, and a joyful celebration of All Saints' Day. Be sure to pray for the dead, rejoice in the saints, and as this episode highlighted, find refuge in the holy name of Jesus. Our next episode features an interview with Marianne Miller, editor-in-chief of Presence, a journal of Catholic poetry. That should be out in the coming weeks, so be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've done that already, Please pass along word about the Curious Catholic Podcast if you're into loving your neighbor as yourself. Until that next episode, let's continue journeying further up and further in.